0: Welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast, dedicated to equipping independent financial advisors with the tips, insights, and knowledge to help you achieve success in business and life. Host Jeff Concepcion shares 30 years of experience as an advisor, entrepreneur, and CEO. Join Jeff and the industry's top thought leaders as they help you evolve from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Now, here's your host, Jeff
1: Concepcion. Jeff Concepcion is solely an investment advisor representative of Stratus World Partners and not affiliated with LPL Financial. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Michael O'Brien is not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial.
0: Hi, this is Jeff Concepcion. Welcome to the Evolving Advisor podcast. I'm pleased to have a very, very dear friend and partner of mine, Mike O'Brien. Mike is a director of national sales for Stratus and has continued to take on more responsibilities as a result of the contributions he's had, not only on the business development front, which we'll ask him to comment on today, but also on the practice management front and kind of identifying best practices of firms that are growing and really building an enduring business. Mike's had 25 years experience in the business, a good portion of which was spent with MetLife, portion of his career at Dreyfus and has continued to since probably what, about four or five years back now, join Stratus again with increasing responsibilities. He lives in Garden City, Long Island with his family. Mike is a runner, an athlete, dad, coach, and uh, really just a great associate and contributor to Stratus. So with that, Mike, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's about time. It's like 50 podcasts in before I got the opportunity here. So
0: I know you've been sending me a lot of gifts and requests. And then finally, I thought I should acquiesce. And I know that there's good looks and charisma. What I was determining is, is there substance that people can learn from? And I think maybe we're going to deliver some substance through you today.
1: Finally, finally.
0: Thank you, buddy. So before we kind of get into this building an enduring firm, and I'd really love to hear your thoughts on that. And I think many of the advisors who who join us would like to hear that as well. Because of your sort of frontline Exposure on the business development side. I'd love to hear any trends that you're seeing or any learnings from from 2021 on the business development side, Mike.
1: Sure, Jeff. Thank you. You know, I, I'm encouraged by a couple of developments. What I've seen, and perhaps this is the past couple of years because of COVID, and people may have more time on their hands, particularly here in New York, where they're not necessarily commuting into Manhattan and not going into their offices it seems to me that advisors are doing a lot more due diligence on what's out there as far as platforms. And to me, that's encouraging because it helps them make the right decision on what type of model makes the most sense for them, where they should be bringing their business, and how they should be operating. And what that means ultimately is them landing in the right place for their business, for their selves, for their clients, for their families. And that's a great thing. Obviously, there's a lot of conversations happening, and certainly not everyone is necessarily equipped and or ready for a platform like ours. And I know you and I share the same philosophy in that we educate more than anything else. We educate them on what's out there, what the platforms look like, and help them make the right decision. Whether we are the right organization for them or not, I think that part of the due diligence process that we participate in with them is critical and helpful for everyone involved, especially for our industry.
0: Don't, don't you think that COVID sort of, in general, forced people to think more introspectively, maybe have more time to think introspectively? Because, you know, we all know life can be such a rat race and you're going. I think people just had more time to pause and sit back and say is am i executing in the way that i want for my clients do i have the autonomy that i want do i have the freedom and flexibility that i want and maybe it just gave them more time to ponder some of those things and maybe even to your point which is a good one ponder if i was to leave where would i go and what would that look like i wonder if environmentally people just thought more about am i where i really want to be for the balance of my career
1: absolutely and if folks who listen to this podcast are not doing that i'm hoping to we encourage that right to- Take the opportunity, take the time to really look at it and ask the right questions. Help them paint the picture and understand what their future life will look like in a channel like ours or under other independent platforms as well. And even if they stay in the same model, whether it's a wirehouse or, or insurance BD or even a bank channel, make the right decisions for yourselves because you've done the work and, and decided based on the components of, of the practice and of the platform that you made the right choice ultimately.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to just posit a thought as to why people move, and I'd love for you to elaborate on it and maybe add to it. So I think if I was to synthesize, you know, what are a couple of the real key motivators that I hear day in and day out? Like yourself, I'm on the road quite a bit traveling and talking, you know, with advisors all over the country from all different types of models. The first one, I would sort of blend these three things together. I think flexibility autonomy and control, right? Some combination, if I just consider that one theme, deciding how they want to run their business, where they want to invest their capital, staff that they want to choose, services and technologies that they want to deploy. I think that would sort of be one theme. And the second one would be wealth, building wealth, And when I think about that, I'm not thinking about the increase in cash flow, which is sort of the obvious component, right? If I move from XYZ wirehouse from a 40 some odd percent payout to an independent firm where I might be getting, depending on the model, 70, 80, 90 percent, it's less that as much as it is sort of the balance sheet aspect. They look at some of the wires that might pay, say, on average, around two times trailing 12. All of it's received as ordinary income. And essentially doubling the net worth on their balance sheet. You got something that's worth a couple million in a warehouse. If we cheat with the math, more often than not, it's going to be worth twice that because what a free market will pay, and then some of the efficiency of taxes associated. So beyond, so tell me your thoughts, Mike, on that flex, flexibility, autonomy, and control, and maybe on wealth building, and any other thoughts you have as to what motivates people to make these transitions.
1: Yes, I think all those things are absolutely parts of the conversations that we have and part of the concerns of advisors that we speak with and help in the market. I would say, Jeff, to me, there's one overriding theme. And this came really to a head for me this past November when we had our national meeting. We had a couple of future partners join us to observe our firm and our partners and and get a feel for what the organization is like. And I'll say it's culture. To me, the theme is culture around why an advisor is looking to leave their current platform. And that brings it to the next conversation, right? You know, a form, a form like ours is a platform. However, advisors are running their practices independently. So leaving one culture for various reasons and maybe disagreement with the set of values of that culture that you're leaving, it's now time to think differently about establishing your own culture and what does that look like? And how do you align people to that culture? How do you communicate that culture? So those are really important pieces. Obviously, you know, the value of the business and being in position to acquire other practices in our space is really important. But, you know, establishing that culture and and operating within that is critical.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good point. And, and you know, it's got to there's got to be sort of a buildup of. Angst and frustrations that take place because it's, it's a fairly, you know, it can be a fairly scary thing to do to move your business, right? You, you may have sit for a couple of decades on a particular platform and be comfortable. In some cases, it's fairly easy to leave. In other places, it's complicated. And then you ask these age old questions. Will what I'm doing where I am now work where I'm going? Will my clients follow? Will, you know, so it takes some fortitude to do it. So I think it's got to be some combination of all the things that you talked about seeking a culture that they great more greatly align with. You know, having the flexibility and autonomy to build a business the way that they want, serving their clients at the highest level of fiduciary, creating, you know, a a better future for themselves, their staff and their families. I think there are a whole host of catalysts that have, you know, for a long time now, for probably approaching a couple of decades, been driving advisors towards some form of independence. So I appreciate you sharing your thoughts there. Let's switch gears to what I think you wanted to talk about today, which is a pretty neat conversation. I think it deeply aligns with our theme. Advisor to CEO, right? Building an enduring firm were your words, but that's really another way of articulating advisor to CEO. What do you view, Mike, as the principal parts of building an enduring firm? Maybe highlight them and let's break down and kind of hear more granularly your thoughts about each of those segments.
1: Sure, Jeff. You know, I got the benefit earlier in my career of spending a lot of time, first of all, with advisors. My whole career has, after I was one myself, I spent a lot of time with advisors in support roles and of various strategic programs, you know, on the corporate level, at the di- distribution level. And it gave me a lot of learnings, obviously. And another aspect of it was spending a lot of time with business coaches in our industry who support advisors, work with advisors, getting a lot of learning. And the theme over the last number of years and a lot of these channels has been around building your team. And not all platforms were built to support a team-based practice, right? It was really the solo practitioner eat what you kill, grow your production, and that's the way you operate. And unfortunately, a lot of people in our business haven't necessarily developed the skill set or the learnings of working with others, working with other people, or evolving from simply a producing advisor on a platform to what we say to CEO. And what does that mean? And, And how does the role evolve? How does your role evolve? Not everyone's equipped to be the CEO. Right? Not everyone's necessarily equipped from a skill set perspective, from experience, or even a desire to be the CEO. And there are a lot of options in our business now, whether it be joining an existing office or a team as a partner advisor as opposed to CEO or a producer group. There's a lot of different ways to do it. But if an advisor does want to really establish their culture, build an enduring firm, and leading that firm, I think there are a few different components that are important. One would be under that culture model or mantra, is to establish a vision or a strategy. And what do you want to be? What do you want your firm to look like? How will you operate? How will you, what will you be known as or seen as? So establishing that vision is critical and making sure that your people are all aligned to that vision. Communication is critical to be a CEO, right? Communicate as to what's going on, re-communicate that vision, communicate with your people, communicate on your direction, and the third one was really around talent management or human capital management. A lot of advisors haven't necessarily been in the business of recruiting or developing talent. And that's a, that's an important part of this skill set to be CEO. Now, I'm not suggesting that an advisor who evolves to that role and builds an enduring firm as a CEO is no longer an advisor, right? You know, granted, the role has to evolve and perhaps they might continue to manage the, really the highly important relationships of clients. But there definitely has to be that step and evolution toward spending that time on vision, communication, and human capital management, whether it be attracting talent or developing ongoing talent going forward.
0: So well, Let's break down each one of those, Mike, and I'm going to put you on the spot. When you think about vision and strategy, can you think of a team or two that you are currently coaching and kind of what that process looks like for them? And maybe even share a little bit just so it would help me and maybe it will help others. What are some of the types of visions or strategies that these practice, and what's the premise that they're basing themselves on as they look towards what they want to become in the future? Just an example, just loosely, not mentioning names, but I think would be helpful.
1: Uh, We've got partners all over the East Coast that have varying strategies. The same themes apply, by the way, of what I think is important. But strategically, we've got partners who are focused on really, truly being their client's CFO and, and making sure that... The financial aspect of their lives are addressed and taken care of, and so that that's not a concern for them. You know, I think the the common theme with a lot of advisors who we work with is that the relationship with money is an emotional one. Whether a person comes for money or doesn't come from money, or whatever their background is, everyone has that emotional relationship with money, and I think it's critical that a person has a a partner in that who also is an emotional being, right? It's not just technology, although technology is important, but having an emotional being on the other side of the table that's able to help you manage through that. And a lot of times, you know, it's about helping them understand what money gets you, whether it's time, whether it's freedom, whether it's flexibility. Um, So a lot of our advisors have that focus. And I think about one in particular that is really all about time and making sure that their clients have the time to, to fulfill the dreams that they have And so not have to worry about the financial means to get there. Other partners really do have a focus on helping certain communities, right? Whether it be the African American community or the underserved communities in our in our society, having that real focus on evolving their practice and able to support people who perhaps have been more than you know, underserved in our business by our business, quite frankly
0: yeah so I hear a couple I hear a couple themes that you're tapping into there, and it sounds like vision or strategy could incorporate what you do and it can also incorporate who you do it for yeah and i and, and so it was helpful to hear you kind of give some of those examples any any further thoughts on the vision and strategy or do you want to move towards the importance of communicating and probably communicating continuously because if we say something it's like building the financial plan that is incredible and then you throw it in a drawer and don't touch it for four years you're not likely going to realize what's in that plan. When you lay out this vision and strategy and communicate it, you have to communicate commu- and continue to, you know, repetitively. Um, maybe talk about that next step, Mike.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the strategy does have to be communicated over and over, Jeff. And, and I think the firm leader or the principal team leader, whatever you want to call it, has to be open to adjusting it every now and then. You know, I think that's important and, and why. And, and have team members participate in that vision evolution. A lot of advisors who come to our space, from what I have seen, haven't necessarily thought strategically, haven't necessarily thought, you know, establishing a vision. They might have been an advisor on a on a warehouse platform or in a bank channel that haven't necessarily needed to think this way. So encouraging them, getting the right coaches, getting the right trusted partners that can help them evolve their thinking around vision and strategy, I think is be critical. And, you know, I don't think it's in human nature to communicate that very comfortably or very regularly. And our partners who do this well, and I've sat in on a lot of these meetings where it's repetitive around what they're doing, why they're doing it, and whatever changes might have taken place in the business, To that communication piece is so critical.
0: No, it makes sense. When you think about, and I can, I'll i be honest with you, I mean, sort of a confession, I, I don't always feel... That as a business leader, I've communicated well. And it's oftentimes not because I'm clear on what the vision or strategy is, but either I take it for granted or I get so mired in executing and implementing that I forget to make sure that all the people who are following along remember where we are going and why we are going there. I think it's just easy to get caught up in the day to day activities. And I think your point is a really, really good one. Lay out a vision and strategy. Be willing to modify it, right? Because nothing is static. The world changes. So we need to change. It doesn't mean that we depart, but maybe it means that we alter or that we modify that vision and strategy. And then so important, so important, a part that I think I've probably failed on as much as I've accomplished it is communicating continuously so that people know where we're headed and they remember why we're headed there. And then the last one that you mentioned, I think is absolutely massive. This, we, our business is really nothing more than intellectual property, right? It's People, its its skills and its knowledge. So you talked about, I think you called it, attracting talent and managing talent. Talk a little bit about what that looks like in sort of a, a best you know best case scenario with with your most thriving practices.
1: Thanks, Jeff. So I you know you hit on it a little bit too. Where in, in talking about yourself in establishing the vision for Straddle's Wealth and and the direction we've gone in, um, following your vision for the business, the key is to surround yourself with people who can implement who can execute on on the vision, on the strategy. I'll go back to the experience of advisors in our business. They haven't necessarily needed to attract talent. And then once that talent is part of your organization, develop their, that talent. You know, and, you know, what are their career aspirations? What are their goals? It could be an administrative assistant who decides he or she wants to become an advisor. And what is it going to take to get there? That requires care, communication, and, and coaching, quite frankly. And that's not an easy thing to do. And I've seen too many people leave this business because they may not have gotten that support or gotten that leadership of evolving their career. And when I work with our advisors here, I'm always helping them focus on when we bring someone new to the business, whether it be a service associate or a marketing person, whatever it might be, let's lay out the career path possibilities as to what that could look like. Do they want to get licensed? Do they want to study here, get their CFP, become a CFA? Whatever that might be, I think it's really important to establish that early on and check in with that quite often as, they, as the practice evolves, as the team evolves. Particularly, I think it's going to get more complex, Jeff, quite frankly, because I think the future of our business is a multi-gender, multi-ethnic, multi-generational team that has a strong technology adoption, you know, and and able to really mirror the marketplace and be resources to all types of clients, all types of communities. And I think with that comes complexity and be able to manage multigender, gender multi-ethnic, multi-generational as a team leader or or group of principals managing the business. That's going to require a different level of care and support and understanding in order to be successful.
0: Yeah, it makes great sense. When I think about Talent, Mike, you know, attracting talent, managing talent, and retaining talent. You actually hit on a couple of things that I had jotted down as notes as you were speaking. Career path. I think more than ever, particularly younger talent, they want to know, you know, what do I need to do and where can I go if I do it? Right. Recognition, just acknowledging people, sometimes even in small ways, is I'm not saying it's as important as compensation, but it's important for people to know that their contributions are valued. Incentives economically. And then I think, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit, because there are a number of practices you coach that have incorporated this. When you get someone who's a game changer, because there aren't that many of them out there that are just really, really good at what they do, people will leave somewhere that they work, but they are less apt to leave if that's something that they feel like they own, right? So when you start to get into options or phantom equity or equity, even if they're owning a small piece. They're they're being rewarded as a business thrives. It's something that suited our firm really well, particularly in the early days when we were launching. We use equity heavily, and it's changed people's lives. I mean, when you look at the valuation today, you have people in in you know simple, you know very important, but not upper management, not even mid management roles that had equity. Some of them who were here early that have a million dollars of value in equity. So. Talk a little bit about some of those themes and what you see best practices doing as it relates to recognition, career path incentives, and in some cases, even ownership.
1: Great question. You know, whenever I hear or speak to a young advisor who's a few years in the business who is looking at independence or making a move, and through those conversations, equity becomes really important to them, that kind of lights me up because that's exactly what This model can ultimately offer, right? Where you're no longer simply a W 2 employee of a large corporation. You are now perhaps a key member of a a small business, quite frankly, that has value. And in that value, you know, carried by the principals typically, if they find the right person that will help them grow the business, to help them evolve the business, I encourage our advisors to think about. Compensating with equity or at least giving access to equity in the practice, because that is what's going to attract top entrepreneurial talent and certainly, you know, help young advisors become part of a growing business and operate like an owner, not an employee. It's a completely different mindset that with the possibility of equity down the line for them as they perform, as they grow with the business. That really sets them up well, Jeff, for them to be that next generation advisor, to be the successors to that business. Um, because, as you know, in our business, succession planning is a big deal and it's a big issue, quite frankly. And most advisors that come to us are looking at a platform like ours, are absolutely interested in acquisition, and they want to grow through that acquisition. And everything we already talked about on this on the, in this conversation, uh, building that enduring practice. You can't acquire that practice unless you have your ducks in a row and you've got your practice healthy and ready to acquire. And that means vision, communication, people management, your human capital, and having the right people in place from a skill set perspective. You have the right capacity in place to be able to acquire that new business and take on more clients. That is very, you know, that's those are critical components to be a successful acquirer, but ultimately those acquirers are going to be senior advisors who are thinking about their own value or perhaps their own next stage in life so attracting that next generation of talent into the business with the right vision and system and process but also the idea that they can have equity ownership in in this larger organization is a very attractive component of, of bringing on the right talent do
0: you find founders open to doing that? And in some of the better teams you've seen throughout your career, not just here at Stratos, do you find founders open to doing that or reluctant? And when they do, do you find that it actually drives the, in most cases, the retention and incentive and behavioral you
1: know, outcomes that one would hope for? You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm kind of laughing at that question because I think about the personalities that we work with and, and whatnot. I would say that team leaders, founders, CEOs are somewhat reluctant quite frankly because it's not something they've necessarily thought about but it's almost one of those things it's like you, you evolve your thinking when you see it or when you experience that talent and if it's something that's needed to attract that talent I think they start warming up to the idea I'll give you an example right now I'm working with a young advisor who is thinking about leaving his current platform and joining one of our teams and he is at a crossroads of deciding, am I going to give up this kind of guaranteed income at the level that I'm at in order to take a perhaps somewhat of a step back in current income, but the longer term vision of evolving my business, his business, and ultimately gaining equity in either the the holding company or some sub- subset of that company is attractive to him. So it's a, it's a decision that needs to be made. And it it's one of those things that it, you don't always find that, you know, people tend to be skittish about taking on that risk, just as owners are a little bit skittish about giving equity away. So it's a combination of things. And the dynamic is just around people and principals realizing what it's going to take to bring top talent and young advisors realizing, you know, what, they, what they're what they going to have to do in order to get that equity and get to that place they want to get to.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned something a couple minutes ago, Mike, you're talking about Acquisitions as part of a growth strategy, and I know in your region you have a fair amount of that going on as well. It'd be great just for you to talk about you know how people are finding opportunities and how they're winning them. there's a lot of activity, there's also a lot of competition, and I know again you've got a fair amount going on in your region, maybe just a minute or two on your thoughts there
1: sure I, I've got a good population of advisors who are not all necessarily ready to acquire, so we're working with them in partnership with my practice management consultant partner Stratus to help them. Evolve their business to the place where they're ready to acquire. They all want to, but they're not necessarily ready. But I do have a number of partners who do have that highly evolved practice who are ready, willing and able, and we approach it in an all-in strategy. I myself will look at prospecting opportunities for them in various ways, whether it be simply through centers of influence or, or wholesalers, you know keeping an eye out for advisors who are thinking about Their next stage in life, or thinking about monetizing their business and what that's going to take. I get referred to constantly advisors who are thinking about what their options are as a next step. A lot of times, it's they don't necessarily want to leave the business, but they need to think about their future. Their clients might be asking about what's next as they see that advisor aging or that team aging. So they they want to really address that question with their advisors and perhaps even reserve the right to sell their business in the future or are willing to accommodate potential buyers now. So that's a lot of the conversation that I have. I encourage our advisors themselves to be out there talking to their centers of influence, talking to their trusted partners and making their intentions known that they want to grow through acquisition, that they're ready, willing and able to do so and are looking for those types of opportunities. So, you know, those kind of Sub-acquisitions, if you will, Jeff, for our advisors, very important. It's a big part of the commitment that we make to them when they join us. And it's a big reason why they join.
0: Yeah, it it makes good sense. And, you know, my only comment, the only thing I would add on to that is lots of advisors want to acquire. Not all of them are necessarily ready to do so based on their own infrastructure, capacity, bandwidth, financial wherewithal, et cetera. But even for those who are ready to do it, it just doesn't fall on their lap, right? And I think I've had this conversation so many times. Someone goes independent from you fill in the blank, name the wirehouse, and they rent an office and they get four extra offices just assuming that they're going to get filled. It's a full time job. It's not easy to bring on a body. Uh, You have to be out there telling the story. You have to have energy that goes in that direction. Same thing with acquisitions. Even if you have the capacity and the resources and the infrastructure and the systems, someone's got to source leads and spend time working on the transactions. So the desire can be there to do it. Even all the resources can be there. You have to make sure that the energy and the time, you know, someone's putting that time in, whether it's the principal of the firm or they hire someone to kind of lead M&A. But it is a super interesting way when you complement a healthy organic growing firm and you add some inorganic growth that really can supercharge, you know, the trajectory of a business. So... Really, one last question, Mike, and this is just sort of an open-ended question. What advice or what thoughts do you have for advisors as we've sort of, you know, early on in, in 2022 and they're thinking about having a successful year, what sort of overarching advice would you have to people who are happy with the business that they own and operate today but want to see a new level of success this year and going into the future? Any
1: closing thoughts? Yeah, I, I think, again, it, this business is about people. and. Having a focus on evolving your current people in their careers, helping them get to where they want to get to in their career, and then thinking about that talent out there. Jeff, that is, you know, I, I constantly have conversations with young people, whether it be from my high school community, my, my college community, and constantly talking to college students about wanting to get into this career and and the wealth management career. They're ready, willing, and able. The question is, what is what does it look like for them? What is the financial model for them? So I suggesting that experienced advisors who are looking to grow, and looking to grow their teams, really think about what they need, first of all, in talent, what skill set they're looking for, what that career path looks like. And and as part of their vision and strategy, attracting the right talent into specific roles in order to accomplish their goals. That is probably the most important thing I think in our business that is not well-focused on enough, quite frankly. Too many people leave the business because they're not in the right place or they're not on the right team, but they should be in our business because they're talented and they want to help people, quite frankly. And I'm encouraging our experienced advisors and and top advisors looking to grow to really think about that human capital management aspect of the business. It is critical for their ongoing success.
0: Yeah, great point, Mike. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts today. We're going to move to our Closing, can you tell us what your musical selection is going to be?
1: I can and you know, I put a lot of thought into this, Jeff. And I, I thought, do I, you know, use my own, you know, music, love of music, and, and bring that forth here, which I don't think many people want to hear. But I decided to to choose a song in honor of my mother who passed away a few years ago, uh, and the song is Edelweiss, and this is a song that she had always sung. But more importantly, her name was Edeltraud. If she's from Europe and she came here after World War II, and it's a name that means noble and strong. And the edelweiss flower is a flower in the Austrian Alps that grows above the tree line. It is both beautiful and hardy. So I thought that was a, a great honor to my mother, and it's going to be performed by my daughter Catherine O'Brien, who interned for us a couple of summers in a row here. So with very that, meaningful, Catherine, buddy. Very you.
0: meaningful. Thanks for sharing that, and thanks for using. Perhaps a more talented vocalist in the family to to provide the musical contribution. So
1: well, she's going to be playing the piano. So how oh, wonderful. wonderful. We don't we don't we uh, don't pretend to be vocalists here in our family. We're more of a instrumentalist.
0: We'll take it. We'll take it.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Jeff.
0: Thanks, Mikey. Thanks for listening to The Evolving Advisor. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. And if you would like to talk about succession planning or practice acquisitions, please drop us a line. We would love to help you in any way we can.